After constantly being bombarded with emails, phone calls, and text messages on a daily basis asking, what would you do? Sometimes it's an, oh crap, I made a mistake, help me. And sometimes it's just a question about the latest technology and do we feel it's worth the investment? We want to help answer all of these questions. So, welcome to What Would Larry Do? featuring Dr. Ann. We'll be interviewing experts in the industry to help answer the questions that you desire to know the answers to. And now, it's time for What Would Larry Do? featuring Dr. Ann. Hello, and welcome to What Would Larry Do? I am Dr. Ann, and I am here with Larry Helwig, and we have a, an interesting show topic for you today. So, we are actually going to be bringing up the issue of vaginal rejuvenation in the aesthetic world. So we titled our show today, Why is Vagina a Bad Word? And Larry, I'm going to let you take off running with that one and just jump in and just really bring up why is it a bad word? Well, it, it should not be a bad word. And we are fortunate because we know a girl named Emily Morse, and she does a show, a podcast called uh, Sex with Emily. And she's now on Cirrus Radio, and she's doing a big thing. And I, we know her. We know her very well. And we've been, on, uh, we've been on the podium together for, you know, over a year. And she does a fabulous job in helping everyone get comfortable with vagina. And I think a lot of people are brought up differently. You know, in some households, uh, you know, they, they talk about vagina in a very, uh, at a very young age. In some households, they will never talk about it, and we give it other names. And I remember we started dealing with vaginal health uh, the day after uh, there was a television show. Who was it? Uh, now I'm <laughs> trying to remember. remember. <laughs> no, no it, not, it wasn't that. Not, not that one. Um, anyway, um, on the show, she was talking about her vajayjay, and this was years ago. And, you know, no one was even saying the word vagina. It was, how did they call it, and what did they name it? Uh, it's vajayjay. And so the next day, we started doing the vajayjay rejuve. But, <laughs> but people have, people have for years now not wanted to talk about the vagina, and talking about the vagina should be like talking about the weather. It does not have to be the elephant in the room. <laughs> right? And that's, that's what it is. It's, you know, people don't want to talk about it. And you can really tell the difference in patients. One patient's totally comfortable with it. And, you know, right, right away they can talk about it and discuss it and in a very comfortable way, everything about it. The next patient cannot get that word out no matter what. And we've trained offices, probably over 100 offices across the country, in how to do vaginal treatments. And it is shocking how difficult it is to get the staff comfortable with the word vagina. It's interesting, too, because it is. This is a medical setting. We're talking about medical issues. We're treating people with medical devices. And not only do patients not want to discuss it, but the practitioners are so awkward when you try to get them in there. I remember a couple of um, companies, they send them to us for training because we get models that are comfortable doing it so that as we're training individuals, they can actually speak to the model, talk to her, say, is this feel okay? What's happening? You know, tell us your feedback versus... 
They've been in other environments where they completely drape the woman off. So you can't see anything but the area you're treating. You have no idea who she is. You can't speak to her, talk to her. It's like making this whole horribly awkward situation. And it's like most of the time you have to learn how to be in a room with your patient and discuss this medical issue that they're having and help them take care of it. And that's, that's my biggest concern with it is that because women are awkward bringing it up, if medical practitioners are awkward talking about it, we're now creating an environment where women are not going to discuss, not going to discuss their health issues. And some of this is related to health issues. And, and why does that have to be the case? So Larry, what actually moved you to start down the path of vaginal rejuvenation? Well, um, it's interesting because when you're doing treatments on patients, and sometimes they're on your, your bed for an hour, hour and a half, two hours, maybe even longer, you have conversations. And treatment bed is and what he's that referring would be to. The treatment bed. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah, let's Just be had cl- to throw let, that one yeah, out there. Yeah, let's be clear about that. It's the treatment bed. <laughs> and um, so, you know, you're, you're having conversations about different things. And for some people, they want to know everything that you do in your office. And we have for many years now done vaginal rejuvenation where we're treating both internally and externally the entire area that for, for today's purposes we're just calling the vaginal area. And um, we've done that. And so we bring that up or I'll, I'll discuss it with them. And some people, you know, that's the end of the conversation. But for a lot of patients, um, uh, they want to know more. Uh, what does that mean? What, what's involved in that? And, and uh, you know, is it painful? And how long does it take? And how many treatments and all that? So one thing leads to another. But for those people that are interested, it is a, it's kind of an eye-opening experience for them because they have no idea what all a treatment can do for them. And what actually does vaginal rejuvenation refer to? Well, it is, um, well, there are two, two components to it. The major component is inside the vagina, where you are putting a probe of some type in the vagina, and you are heating up that tissue by some method. It could be radio frequency, it could be laser, it could be, you know, combination type devices. And it's usually not painful, and it's usually fairly quick. And, uh, you know, I've, I've treated, you know, many, many women where on a scale of 1 to 10, from a pain scale, how does it feel? They'll tell me maybe a 4. And so it's really nothing. It's a very, very easy treatment. So that's, first of all, that, that's the internal component. And on the internal component, you're looking at um, issues like uh, lubrication. Mm-hmm. So that doesn't mean that everyone that gets a treatment or two or three treatments is now well lubricated. But it is one of the things that most women say, yes, it has really helped with that. And it's a huge issue in postmenopausal women is dryness. Vaginal dryness can actually be extremely detrimental to their health. Exactly. Another issue, of course, is tightness. Uh, they've had three children, four children, and... Seven yeah, children. Yeah, whatever. And, you know, I mean, seriously, that's a bowling ball coming out. And so <laughs> things change. The shape changes. And you will get more lax. And this is one great way to be able to tighten up that tissue. So that's another one. Mm-hmm. Uh, another issue is urinary stress incontinence. That's where you cough, you pee. You sneeze, you pee. 
You know, you, you laugh, you pee. You, yes, all you of jump, these things. You jump, you pee. That's right. Anytime there's intra-abdominal pressure, you leak. And that's a very, very common issue. And so each of these things are, uh, are, are treatable. And the, the fourth one that we didn't really know going into this is increased sensitivity. Mm-hmm. And so it's really amazing when you think about the sensitivity of the vagina or the penis, anything. You know, what can you do to increase sensitivity? What can you do to make it uh, wake up? And and uh, and and perform better or feel feel better during the act itself. And I think most women don't actually realize that they lack sensation down there. I think that, that's something that they they don't even know exists or that uh, can be changed. That's right. That's right. Many of them will say, "I don't feel like it doesn't feel like it used to." Mm-hmm. And um, and so there are some statistics that frame this whole pleasure issue. And the first thing that most people do not realize is that 75 to 85% of women have painful sex at least some of the time. And, and that's something that, you know, as a guy, I would have never thought. Are you kidding? I've never had painful sex. What do you mean painful sex? I, it's great. Everything feels good. We, we, what's this pain thing? How can this be painful? You know, I got a smile on my face. And so that's, that's... I'm sorry, I just keep laughing, but it's it's true. Men, okay, number one, men have no idea this is happening. They no. have no idea. And number two, some women think this is completely normal and what it's supposed to be like. That's right. They normalize a lot of things, and we'll talk about some of that in a little bit. But another statistic is 30% of women sometimes have orgasms during intercourse. And I'm, you know, I get that, and I'm thinking, <laughs> What? You, you got to be kidding me. And you know what's even funnier about that statement? 30% sometimes. Sometimes. It's like, oh, seriously. You know, if a guy, if that was true for a guy, man, he'd find some way around that right away. <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, a guy can have an orgasm with intercourse 100% of the time. You know, I just, I, you know, a guy cannot understand that. And women have accepted it. So and when it's, they it's, couldn't, that's when they invented Viagra and yeah, Cialis yeah. and all these other things to take care of that. For that's them. right. That blue pill. <laughs> Yay. All right. So there's a lot of things. 34% of postmenopausal women are dissatisfied with their level of sexual desire. And we did talk about that a little mm-hmm. bit. And about 70% of women say that relationships suffer over the whole pleasure thing. However, very few do anything about it. Yeah. And so, you know, some of this comes down to normalizing. And, and I think that that's really the problem. We, we talked about uh, there's anxiety, there's all of this. But if you t- take and normalize a problem... It doesn't, it doesn't get better. So in other words, mm-hmm. urinary incontinence, okay? So you're wearing a pad. You've got a couple pads in your purse. You know, you're good to go, right? And why? Well, because you've had three children or you're, you're between 40 and 60, and that's pretty common. And it, this is normal, isn't it? That's normal for that to happen. Maybe you have painful or unenjoyable sex. Well, that's normal as I age. Um, inability to orgasm. Well, uh, that's normal. I know other women have the same issue. 
Um, I have laxity, and, and it doesn't look like it used to look. Well, I've had children, and I'm older, so I'm going to normalize that. So all of this, and then maybe the libido, maybe I just don't have the drive, and I don't have that, and that could be a hormone issue, which uh, we also work on at our clinic. But, mm-hmm. but this is something like all of these things women tend to normalize so that, well, I'm not alone it's not just me. It's okay. Well, guys don't normalize. If you can't get an erection, you take a blue pill or you do something. I you saw, at least go see your doctor and yeah, say, hey, like, can we yeah. get this checked out? You get, get this thing <laughs> fixed. I got to have it working. So, you know, the, I, in the paper this morning, there were two different ads for men's clinics to make sure you could take care of erectile dysfunction. Right. Okay. You know, so there's there's things like that for the men that are going on all the time, but for women, uh, it's normalized. They mm-hmm. don't they don't deal with it, and when they come in and actually you have a conversation with them about this and what you can do to help them, it's like night and day. They have no idea that this can be done, and it can be done in as you know as little as thirty minute treatment, very very easy without pain. Mm-hmm. And uh, so anyway, normalizing is really a problem, and uh, I think part of it is just having that conversation. Yeah, and I agree, and that's the biggest thing that I found. Even as a female practitioner, women still are uncomfortable speaking to me about it. And that's why we really wanted to bring it up as an issue is this is important for women for their health, for the health of them physically, for the health of them mentally and emotionally with their relationships, and just to help them feel better about themselves. So it doesn't have, you know, vagina does not have to be a bad word, especially when you're in with your medical practitioner and you want to know, hey, is this normal? Hey, should I do anything about this? Or is there anything I can do? And that's why, you know, it's, it's, of course, we're going to have lots of laughs today as Larry gets going, but it really is a big issue. And, you know, I'm passionate about it because women should not have to feel like they have to suffer or this is just the way it's going to be and I'm going to be miserable. Like, why, why do we do that? I, I don't know. Well, one other thing about that with, with the sexual and all that, you don't buy your sexual wellness at Walgreens. You know, you, <laughs> you need to. You need to do something about it. And what we have found over the years is if you increase blood flow, things get better. Mm-hmm. I can assure you, blood flow to my penis, everything <laughs> goes great. So you have to have the blood flow and you increase blood flow to a vagina. Guess what? It gets better. It becomes more sensitive. It, uh, it, I think it wakes up the nerves that have mm-hmm. kind of gone dormant over time. And again, it's very, very easy to do that. And the one thing everyone out there knows is that when sex is better for the woman, life is better for the family. (laughs) So got to make it happen one way or the other. Exactly. So bringing us to the next part. So who is a candidate for a procedure like this? Well, we've had, you know, we've treated women in their 20s. We've Mm -hmm. treated women in their 70s. Uh, so all age groups are candidates, mm-hmm. um, but again, we do a good health history, and mm-hmm. and the the physical exam really starts at the time of the treatment. We do, I wouldn't say a pelvic exam. You do have to come in uh, with. We have to have a report from your OBGYN in the last twelve months that you have negative Pap and uh, a normal pelvic exam. So it exactly. starts out with that. And then we do a, 
like a very, very mini exam just to check for sensitivity and things like that and anything abnormal that we might feel. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we've all been in this uh, business. I did pelvic exams many, many years ago at County Hospital and delivered babies and did all those kinds of things. And I know uh, Ann has done uh, similar things. And so mm-hmm. you have that experience now. Should OBGYNs be doing this? Yes. Yeah. But right now, it seems like the bulk of this is being done at facilities like ours. Yes. And uh, so, uh, but one of the things I want to get back to with the vagina a little bit, many women, uh, they don't seem to know their vagina. Yeah. Yeah, they'll say, um, it feels like another person. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's like, What? Your vagina feels like another person? And they, they ask the question, am I normal? And, you know, sometimes you say, you know, do you know what it looks like? And they don't even know what it looks like. You right. know, like, is it possible you could pick it out of a lineup? <laughs> and, you know, a lot of women would not be able to pick their vagina out of a lineup. No, so it's true. They, they don't know what it looks like. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this vagina is yours. It belongs to you, just like your hand, your shoulder, your feet. You know, this is an anatomy that's yours. And you get to own it. You get to use it. And it does not belong to anybody else. And I don't think any senator in Washington should tell you what you can do with your body. But <laughs> without getting too political about yeah, it. Yeah, we're going to escape from that real quick. All right. But uh, my, my point is, this is... Is, is your body, and you should get to know it. And it's usually anxiety mm-hmm. and things like that. We don't know if we're okay down there. And, you know, some people, after they've had children and what have you, say, I would like to look like I did before. Yes. You know, maybe when I was younger, I'd like to have that look. And, and that is something that's very, very doable. Mm-hmm. And it's doable surgically. And it's doable non-surgically. And, of course, we do the non-surgical part. But, you know, looking like the best version of you should never be limited to your face. Yeah. You know, you can look your best anywhere on your body. And feel your best. And feel your best. You know, have confidence in your look and the sensation that you get that goes with uh, whatever's going on. So I think the MI normal is very, very important to take a look at that and and the conversation that we have about it. Yeah, absolutely. And so as far as who's a candidate, Larry and I always like to really promote that we do require our patients to have regular OBGYN exams. So you need to see your doctor. And for those women who have not been in the last 7 to 10 years, because as insurance has changed over the last couple decades, I've noticed that a lot of patients do not go do an annual blood, you know, blood work and doctor visit anymore. They just are not going to see their doctors. And women, if you are not getting your regular OBGYN exam, this is an issue, especially if you are in your 30s, 40s, 50s, just everything from cancer to just overall health. So first and foremost, see your OBGYN, get the clearance, you know, that everything's normal. And then from there, we can help people with their problems. And age is not a factor, you know, because 20-year-olds have had babies you know, and then, of course, postmenopausal women, even if they haven't had children, can still have problems. So it can affect women of all age ranges and all different types of backgrounds. But the key is, first and foremost, let's make sure you're healthy. 
then from there, we can help you fix all these parts that they may or may not be addressing in your OBGYN office. Exactly. And I, I do want to mention that all of these uh, procedures that we talk about, whether it's internal or external, and external also increases sensitivity. Mm-hmm. So it, it's very helpful because, again, it increases blood flow. But you can tighten the labia, you can inflate the majora, which is your outer lips, Mm -hmm. and they tend to become deflated over time. And the menorah, which is the inner lips, uh, tends to become more lax. And you Mm -hmm. can contract that tissue and get a new look. There are surgical uh, options. So one of the surgical options is a, a vaginoplasty, and that's obviously for the internal component. And that usually runs about $5,400. You can Mm -hmm. also have a labioplasty, and that's the outer portion, and that's usually around $4,000. Both together, you're looking at about a $10,000 procedure. These procedures non-surgically over a series of three treatments is about $3,600 to treat both internal and external at the same time. Mm -hmm. And again, it's, uh, you know... It's always less than an hour, usually about 30-minute treatment. Yep. Yeah, so it's very easy. So we're going to jump into my next couple questions, and I actually have a two-part question for you. So my first part is going to be who should be performing these treatments on women, and the second part are are there any risks? Because I feel like the first one leads to the second one. So the first one is, is who should actually be performing vaginal rejuvenation on these women? Well... You know, in a perfect case situation, you would think it would be your OBGYN that yes. would be doing this. Yeah. You know, they, they, you're. This is what they do. This is what they do. <laughs> They're uh, dealing with the vagina all day, every day, and uh, they would be very good at this. Mm-hmm. Uh, the issue is they are in the insurance business, whether they choose to be or not. That's that's where, really where they are. And these procedures, um, there may be some exceptions, but for the most part, these procedures are uh, not covered by insurance. Yes. And so most OBGYNs are not in this. They they don't go out and buy expensive technology that will do this. Yes. And it's not something that... Now, there are exceptions. There are some offices that do do it, and they do very well with it. Um, however, the, the offices that are accustomed to cash pay patients and have a lot of technology, they're the ones that are doing the most of it. Mm-hmm. And as far as who in that office should be doing it, you know, state by state, that's a little bit different, um, what the rules and laws and regulations are. Um, here at our clinic, uh, we believe that you need to be a nurse or higher to do the procedure. Mm-hmm. And uh, most most of our procedures are now being done by you. Yeah. So we have a physician doing our procedures. Yep. And, and we have uh, a nurse practitioner who just nurse, joined us who yes. will also be doing the procedures. Exactly. So there's a lot of expertise and a lot of history with our clinic in doing this. Mm-hmm. And uh, But I think someone with some experience should be doing it. And as far as the risk is concerned, again, all procedures have risk. 
Yep. And what you try to do is minimize the risk by asking the appropriate questions and doing the correct exam and getting, you know, uh, getting uh, the, the report from the OBGYN. Mm-hmm. And so by doing all of those things up front so that you know this is a, this is a patient that does not have uh, cervical cancer that you are mm-hmm. treating, does not have other things going on, and uh, again, that's that's a, a lot in the health uh, history and physical exam. Mm-hmm. A good quality assessment makes all the difference. It does, and I agree with Larry. You know, if you go get hair removal on your underarms, there can be risks for that. So, of course, there's risks for vaginal rejuvenation if somebody is operating the equipment that has not been well trained. So that always brings us back to why we're here: is that number one, you know, first and foremost, you have to have somebody operating the equipment who is well trained and what they're going to do. And then two, our, you know, belief, or at least what we're practicing at our office is that you have to have a medical background in order to be treating inside the vagina. And that's something that we've taken a stance. That's our own personal opinion. But we just feel like if you're an RN, a nurse practitioner, a physician, that you have a better medical understanding of what's going on inside a woman's vaginal area and that you are more capable of treating them. And so we've kind of gone with that. And of course, if you have, you know, somebody who's knowledgeable, somebody who's well-trained, these can be extremely safe and painless treatments. I've had no complaints from my women in discomfort. The only thing that I get from them every now and then is that they're uncomfortable having the treatment because I'm inside their vagina, right? (laughs) So they're sitting there with their legs wide open, just like when you go get your OBGYN exam, talking to me and you know the inside part lasts really about eight to ten minutes it's not that long the first time they all have it done they're like scared and I'm like okay well first off I'm a woman I'm a physician I'm here to take care of you this doesn't have to be awkward but other than that they they have no issues with it but I'm also well trained and I have the medical background and I do a very detailed medical history and if they cannot provide me information from their OBGYN in the last six to twelve months that they've had a clear path um, I will not treat them, and I make them go get an exam because in some older women, they you know, don't see them for three to five years. I make everybody go, and that's what keeps us safe and keeps our patients healthy and happy is we take that one little extra step that doesn't take that long. And I think in, in, uh, in addition to that, <clears throat> part of it is the process of the discussion with a very anxious patient. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, you might have 100 people walk in your office. And, and an OBGYN mentioned this to me, and I, I, it's always stayed with me, that if you're in your 30s, 30% have incontinence. If you're in your 40s, 40%. If you're in your 50s, 50%. And so, you know, I can't help but think, I mean, how many women are walking in our practice every day and what percentage have incontinence and they don't want to discuss it yeah how so, many of us are peeing our pants and we're not even telling you exactly so I, I think we need to address that and find a way to address it in a way that the patient can be comfortable in that conversation and again no one wants to talk about the vagina mm-hmm. they have a difficult time with that they have a hard time admitting that hey they're leaking and I, I, I tell the story about when I was at the airport and a girl's uh, purse fell open and all these pads fell out. And it's like 
what they go through, they're carrying extra clean underwear. They have all these pads. And just understand the cost of that. The average cost for a typical female patient is $1,200 per year. And then, you know, uh, does that affect you socially? Mm-hmm. Does that affect your fitness? I mean, can you exercise? Yeah. Can you, all of these types of things, I mean, how does that affect your life? And so it's a type of thing that if we can get past that discussion and, and get you comfortable with it so that you can have these treatments, it will really make a difference in your life. But not only that, it's like you get done carrying a diaper bag for your kids and now you're carrying one for yourself. I mean, that, right? Yeah, that's <laughs> you right. You have to have all the pads and the clean underwear and all this stuff prepared for accidents. That's right. It's like your kids get to a certain age and you're like, yes, no diaper bag. And then you're like, oh, wait, now I have one for myself. Yeah. <laughs> Carrying that, a backpack full of pads, that doesn't make sense. No, it doesn't. Yeah. doesn't quite fit into that small little dinner, dinner purse <laughs> you're planning on carrying that evening. Nope. All right. Well, this brings me to our last subject that we want to touch on because this one's been a big one out there. But what is the controversy surrounding these vaginal rejuvenation treatments? Well, there was an FDA warning that came out. And the, the warning has to do, I believe, primarily with how companies are marketing their devices. Mm-hmm. And, and the fact is, when we treat patients, they're the ones who come back and tell us, wow, I'm so much tighter. I have better lubrication. I'm having orgasms like I've never, ever had in my entire life. Uh, My incontinence is dramatically reduced or eliminated. So it's patients that are saying this after simple, easy treatments. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, the manufacturers have kind of promoted all of that, even though they do not have specific studies. And, you know, I'm not sure how you do a study on lubrication, yeah. I'm not sure, you know, exactly on tightness. Uh, some of that is a little subjective. If, or increased sensation. In sensation, yeah. How, how, would, how would we study that? I, I, you know, there may be ways, uh, mm-hmm. but, but, but the idea is it's very, very challenging. Anyway, the FDA has come down on all these companies about how they marketed it. Yeah. And uh, the devices that we have in our clinic, and we have three of them. And they all work. Yes. Uh, every device works. And uh, we have three because we're, uh, we're associated with different <laughs> manufacturers. And, you uh, have that many vaginas walking have, through your door? We have a lot of technology. <laughs> and, yes, we do have a lot of vaginas coming in. <laughs> so uh, we treated 17 women in one day. And uh, it, uh, so very successful with them. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, you know, they all do very similar things, and we kind of pick and choose, you know, for the patient. Yeah. But, but I think, you know, the FDA made a really big deal out of it, mm-hmm. and I don't, and of course, they are trying to do everything based on protecting a patient. Yes. But if patients stop doing these treatments based on that, I think that that's, that's not to their advantage. Yeah, and uh, and so, you had brought up, you know, so the big thing was that, that they were concerned that these treatments had serious risks and that there was not enough adequate evidence to support the use of their purposes. But the fact of the matter is it has been shown in the studies that it increases blood flow to the area and can rejuvenate the tissue. So that's where it's coming from. 
The companies were definitely, you know, sometimes making claims that hadn't been approved by the FDA. And we all know, right, if you make a claim that's not approved by the FDA and you don't put your little asterisk on it saying this has not been approved by the FDA, the FDA will flag you for possibly scamming patients. So the the reality is you have to be honest with them about what it can do. But, Larry, you're 100% correct. We have seen in our women, any woman I have treated gets improvement in all four areas, but how much they get in each area varies from woman to woman. Not every woman gets the same increase in lubrication. Not every woman gets the same increase in sensitivity, but they all get improvements. And, you know, as far as the risks of it, you know, that goes back to, it really does have to do with who's operating the device and how well are they trained. So, of course, the FDA is always concerned with safety, but so are we as practitioners. I don't ever want to hurt a woman and make her worse. So we've invested a lot of time in studying different equipment, making sure we're well-trained on it, and that only well-trained personnel are doing it, which I think is a big, you know, um, important thing in your practice. And so we do promote that women find, you know, clinics who have well-educated and trained practitioners to ask questions about these, you know. And if they're not sure, come find us. If you don't live in our state, we can help you find somebody who lives around you that's operating vaginal rejuvenation devices in a safe way, and we can help you find somebody. So that's what I always like to point that out to. That's right. And uh, uh, one, one of the things, too, is to kind of keep aware is if you are heating up tissue, you're increasing blood flow. But under biopsy, they found a 4% increase in elastin. So in order to get that, you had to heat the tissue, mm-hmm. and patients are still very comfortable during this, um, but you heat up the tissue. That's To do that, you have, that increases blood flow. So multiple things are happening when you do it, and I think that's a big deal. Uh, and you yeah. get four times the amount of elastin. Well, that's a lot of contraction of that tissue. So yeah. it's, it's just tremendous. Yeah, so while the companies are working on getting all their studies, which they are, Women do not need to be afraid of having this treatment. They just need to find somebody good to treat them. So this is going to lead us to time to wrap up today, Larry. So, you know, I always like you to leave our listeners with one word of advice and, you know, the what would Larry do realm for the vaginal rejuvenation. Well, first of all, let's, if we can, let's get over the... The, the problem of mentioning the word vagina. The stigmatism around yeah, it. Yeah, it's just, you know, it's okay. We get to talk about it, and again, it's yours. It belongs to you. Get to know it. Enjoy it. Have fun with it. Pleasure is a birthright. <laughs> All right? Yes, you know, it is, though. It's a birthright. Go ahead and enjoy it and have some fun with it. I'd like to uh, wish Emily Morris a happy birthday. I did text her back and forth a couple times yesterday, and it was her birthday yesterday. Oh, good. Uh, sex with Emily. So, you know, don't be afraid to get on any of her podcasts and listen to her. She's fabulous, and mm-hmm. maybe someday we'll have her on ours. And, uh, but anyway, have, get into an office that does this. Talk to them. Have a discussion. And in most cases, you'll find that they're very comfortable with the conversation. Yep. Perfect. All right. Well, thank you all for joining us today, and we will see you next week. Thank you for listening to What Would Larry Do? featuring Dr. Ann. Hear it live each week here or anytime 24-7 on demand at StarWorldWideNetworks.com.